This episode of GameScoop is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're looking for a way to make your business stand out and succeed online, Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you. They take the stress out of creating an awesome website, engaging with your audience, and selling anything from products to content to time so you're able to focus on, you know, everything else. In other words, you'll have more time for gaming. With the new guided design system, you can choose from curated layouts and styling options to build a unique online presence from the ground up, optimized for every device. And with Squarespace's integrated, optimized SEO tools, you'll show up more often to more people. Squarespace doesn't just make things easier for you. Checkout for your customers is made seamless with simple but powerful payment tools that allow you to accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay. And in eligible countries, offer the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and Clearpay. So whether you're just starting out or looking to expand your existing brand, be sure to visit squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com gamescoop for 10% off. You know, when it comes to wireless carriers, sometimes what you see isn't always what you get. Except with Visible. With Visible, what you see is exactly what you get. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. With Visible, there are no hidden fees, no fine print, no hassle, nothing to hide. It's just $25 a month, all taxes and fees included. And you don't need more than one line of wireless to save. You can save on a line all to yourself with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. And again, just $25 a month. The future of wireless is here and it is transparent. If you want more transparency in your wireless plan, you want to be on the Visible plan. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. That's Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN GameScoop. I'm your host, Damon Hadfield. Joining me today, Dan Stapleton. That's me. Justin Davis. Brian Altano. We've got a great show for you today. So much to get to. We're going to rank the major video game publishers working today. But first, alternate history. Mm. What is it? Where does it come from? Does it have our best interests? (laughs) Today we're going to be talking about uh, alternate histories in video games leading up to The Order 1886, which comes out next month and is uh, an alternate history game. We're also going to give away a copy of The Order 1886 for the PlayStation 4 video computer entertainment system (laughs) from Sony. (laughs) All you have to do to win, to enter yourself to win, is go to go.ign.com slash orderscoop You'll fill out a form. It's the same form that the Daily Fix uses, so at the top of the page, you have to click the drop-down and, and select GameScoop, or else you're going to be entering to win whatever the Daily Fix is giving away. I don't know. A date with Tim Geddes or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, almost certainly not that. Go to IGN.com slash OrderScoop to enter your, for your chance to win a copy of The Order 1886. Anyway, alternate histories. To me... I think that means that uh, it involves events and, and people that really happened and lived and changes the events so that the world that we live in today wouldn't be the same if these different events happened. Yes. That's, we're all yeah. on board with this? Yep. For that reason, I don't think I include the original Bioshock in here. It's a, maybe it's, some it's a gray area. Gray area, right? Because sure. it's like... It doesn't involve any real people or real events, so it's kind of like on a separate But but Bioshock Infinite, you would count. Yes, Bioshock Infinite, I would. So I'm just trying to set the stage. Wait, what, really? 
Yeah. Okay. Because, because no, I'm he was trying to wrap my head around yeah. that. Booker was uh, uh, a member of the, the Pinkertons. Pinkertons, yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. And he yeah. was in the Civil War, et cetera. Um, and, and Columbia seceded from America, and yeah. I was going to say, Bioshock does feel more removed from real events, although it does have, like, it obviously takes place on Earth. I don't know. I know, it's, it's, it's a, a gray area, but I, you have to set up some parameters, and that, these are the parameters that I've set up although, in my... Although, <laughs> by the original Bioshock is an alternate dimension from Bioshock yeah, Infinite. That is true. Bioshock so. Infinite does take place in an alternate version of the real world, therefore... Uh, sure. Technically, right. there's always a lighthouse. That's true. <laughs> anyway, this is a brief history of... Alternate history in video games. Not anymore. Not an exhaust. Yeah, <laughs> not an exhaustive list. There's some things that will be left off, but I've just tried to hit the the, the key points. Uh, let's start with uh, the truck have started to move. <laughs> Metal Gear was released on the NES here in North America in 1987. This is the first instance that I could find of an alternate history video game because Solid Snake is sent by his superior big boss to the fictional South African fortress Outer Heaven. Then you know the the Metal Gear saga spans decades and, yeah. and many I mean, I different games. That's actually pretty interesting. Like the more time that passes, things become alternate histories that weren't intended to be alternate histories. Game that take place in 1990x. Yeah, when uh, yeah, you know so and so takes over, and like, but that game came out ten years before that, and they didn't mean it to be that way, mm. but. Metal Gear eventually did end up having this whole giant lore that spanned back to you know Big Boss with Metal Gear Solid Three. Um, yeah. A third snake brother, known as Solidus Snake, mm -hmm. is introduced as the United States president at the end of Metal Gear Solid and serves as the main antagonist of Metal Gear Solid 2. Of course. During his time as president, Solidus became aware of a secretive cabal known as the Patriots who were steadily manipulating the course of human history. Yeah. So that didn't happen. No. Right? So, alternate history. Okay, sweet. <laughs> Just checking. Yeah. Uh, in 1992, Wolfenstein 3D, yeah. which is uh, a common theme actually in video games. You'll find is uh, if the Nazis won. Yeah. What if the Nazis had experiment experimented with supernatural, turned Hitler into yeah. robot Hitler, Robo Hitler? Exactly. Well, they actually Mecha Hitler. They actually did experiment with that. They stuff. did do the, some. The question is whether thing, they yeah. succeeded. Yeah. Uh, Wolfenstein, not so much 3D, but the later games are actually a little bit more story focused. Like yep. uh, last year's Wolfenstein are actually an example of alternate history done right. Like when it's sort of at its best, or why it's this cool thing, or can be this cool, awesome thing, because yeah. because it's awesome. Like you get these like Hitler is so evil, you know, this evil man, but you get to see him in a giant mech suit and fight him, and he's got guns, and there's zombies, and it's like this meshing of like the history that we all know and playing around with it, and knowing that they did run these experiments, but like. What if they manage to take it ten steps farther, and then you get to sort of play that out in a video game? It's yeah, it's yeah. badass. Wolfenstein also represents an altered history where you can you can leave a plate <laughs> of food on the floor and a dog won't eat it, <laughs> which is not true yeah. at all. And yeah. then you can make a giant building with no stairs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's so many games where, where with, with Nazi stuff that that didn't actually happen. There, I think even for like Battlefield 1942, there was an expansion. That mm -hmm. had like the secret weapons of World War II, where it was just like stuff yeah. that Nazis had on the drawing board that you could. Well, yeah, a lot of it was sort of just like they, like they, there were some plans to create like cyborgs allegedly. So that's that became like lore in so many video games where you're yeah. fighting these Nazi robots. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Are you gonna get to? Are we gonna talk about Red Alert later? Yeah. That was gonna be the next okay, one. Okay. And you spoiled it. I was gonna ah, have Dan try and guess. Ah, Unbelievable. That's oh, like the obvious one. It's just my favorite one, and, it, and it's because because of its. Nazi ties. Uh, we'll Albert Einstein travels back in time to stop Hitler. He like shakes, he like 
encounters Hitler on the street and shakes his hand, and then they voila, when, when Einstein travels back to the future, I, Hitler never like rose to power, yeah. and but, that sorted. Yeah, but, but then Stalin the Soviet kind of Union <laughs> rose instead to take. Yeah. Wait, but technically, the, this could still happen using time machine laws. Right. So yeah. So, but as up until now, it's alternate history. Yeah. yeah it no, could wait. theoretically become like real if history. Justin builds a time machine tomorrow, but he has to take it back to no, Albert Einstein. It doesn't work that way. If he someone, wouldn't do that. If anybody <laughs> ever went back in time and changed time, we would never know because we would just be living in yeah. what was the last sixty years of history for us. Maybe someone did go back and change things, and they mucked it up even worse, and that's how we ended up with Hitler. Deep oh, scoop. Right. Deep, wow. deep scoop. <laughs> Damn. Uh, I absolutely love the, that the Red Alert games just get more and more off the rails as yep. they go. Uh, Red Alert 3 actually changed it. So you touched on it. The premise is that no Hitler, but then it turns out that gave the Soviet Union a chance to go nuts and you know become, they start World War II themselves. Red Alert 3, they go back in time and try to change it even further and tinker with it and end up just making it worse. And, I, and I just all, love that the B-roll's yeah. been over for like 30 seconds. It's <laughs> <laughs> just sticky. Now he's waiting like, for his next move. Yeah. In Red Alert 3, like, Japan is, becomes yeah. like, a, like a thing and, and uh, like, comes out and attacks both the Soviets and the yeah. Americans, the Allies. The Red Alert games really have a lot of fun with it. Um, it's that perfect combination of, I don't know why a lot of alternate history games do this, but that combination of like, 1950s retro like old school they always want to take like advanced technology and put it in like a context that feels more like World War II-ish or sure. uh, like the Rocketeer or something like that yeah, yeah. That, yeah maybe not every single time but that seems to be the most common like in Red Alert 2 you have these Tesla coil weapons and all these sort of advanced tanks that they didn't actually have in World War II but it makes it a lot of fun to play around I think, with I think it's because uh, it's, it's a very artistically fascinating time and it was also um a sort of like weirdly triumphantly patriotic time as yeah. well. I think you lost a lot with the future wars that America fought in afterwards, but at the time it was kind of like, like there was some, this camaraderie around it. You can unabashedly root for America. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it's and the it last it, time there was like a blatant bad guy that's yep. like there's yeah. no shades of gray. Yeah, it, make, it makes good video game fodder, you know? Well, it's also, and, and it's, it's just a good way to recycle that, that setting. Right. It's like instead of yet another World War II game, it's like a World War II game, except now there were lasers. Yeah, exactly. So it yeah, lets you have your cake and eat it too. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm all for adding lasers to things that didn't have them originally. Yeah, so. I've always said that. Pro laser. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, in 1997, the first Fallout was released. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I clarify, correct, remind me what, it, there was a nuclear war in the 50s, right? Is that why all their, like, everything no. was, like, locked yeah, in the it's 50s? Actually the, um, no, the, not I, true. Yeah, I don't know how well, you go ahead. No, Fallout actually isn't an alternate history, it's an alternate future. Oh, man. The, the war I in, this one up. The war that destroyed the world in Fallout took place in 2077, I think. So why are they, like, stuck in this 50s Well, it is aesthetic. an alternate history because they never, like, the beatniks and, like, the right. rise of hippie culture, like, never happened. Like, the right. world yeah. was yeah. stuck in the 1950s, and that progressed, and then there was a nuclear war, and everybody ended up in the vaults. True, but so it, was, it was an alternate timeline altogether. Yeah. It's, it's both an alternate... History and an alternate future, but you never actually play in the alternate past. But it's another example of Whoa. like. It <laughs> <laughs> blew another. me out of my chair. <laughs> Did you know that Fallout takes place further in the future than Mass Effect? Yeah, but it, but it, but yeah, it's, it does. it's time-wise, it's all it, well, or stylistically, it's the 1950s. Right, right. Well, yeah, the, yeah, like was, a decimated 1950s. Except it was a futuristic 1950s because all the all the technology that that's there is is pre-war technology. Like the the laser weapons and plasma weapons and everything, and the super mutants 
are all, are all pre-war technology that survived. Yeah, so the most shocking thing you could bring to the Fallout world is not a mutant, it's, it's like a cassette deck. Yeah, <laughs> a, a Walkman. Wow. But, then they, but then they do still have, it's almost like steampunky, um, and I'm yeah. sure it doesn't actually fit the definition of it, but like taking past technologies, and they do have like radios that like float by your side, but they use like a different technology, and they're displayed on these old like glowing green screens, mm-hmm. and that's how all the computers look in that world. It's... Yeah, it, it's the kind of retro futuristic kind yeah. of kind of world where almost uh, like Battlestar Galactica esque. Yeah, it's like so it's it's like you you imagine what what people in the fifties would have thought the future would look like, and yeah. that's what the twenty seventy seven of Fallout was when the paleofuturism. Yeah, it's one of my but, favorite things in the world. That's <laughs> actually, really it's it's like it's like it's what the it's what the Jetsons hinges on, right? Yeah, like, I think what we're, people I th- thought the future would look like way back when. I don't know where we are in real life in comparison to the Jetsons, but like by now, I think they said that we would have cars that fit in our suitcases and, and robots that got, that dress. And you us know, the world of the fly. Jetsons is like terrifying, right? Because yeah. they all live up in the sky. You don't know what's going on in the on the Earth in the Jetsons. You never see it. Yeah, I'd be terrified. Yeah, or you slums. don't. Yeah, exactly. You don't know what's down there. Uh, in two thousand, Crimson Skies was released on PC and the original Xbox. It's totally a cult favorite. Underrated game. An air combat simulator set in an alternate history of the 1930s in which the United States has split into a number of smaller sovereignties and in which air travel has become the primary mode of transportation. Man, how good was Crimson Skies? Everyone loves that game. I'd I'd kind of completely forgotten about it. Think about franchises I want to come back. Xbox, you're bringing back Phantom Speaking of franchises you want to come back, do you want Blood Rain to come back? Which appeared first in 2002... And involved Nazis trying to resurrect the devil, um, Belial. Wow, that was graphic. <laughs> that woman got cut in half. Yeah. Um, this game did come back a few years ago, right? As a well, 2D side Yeah, like a downloadable like, Xbox Live Arcade. It was like Castlevania style-ish, right? Yeah. I think there was a Blood Rain and a Blood Rain 2. Yep. And then Blood Rain, I don't know, whatever that downloadable game was. And then there was the Uwe Boll movie. There was a movie. On I was going to say, then they made yeah. a bunch of sequels. Doing some Tarzan too. stuff there. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. She's like half vampire, I think. So yeah. that's what she is. This was an alternate timeline. It involved Nazis trying to resurrect the devil. Okay. Well, we don't know if that wasn't yeah, something they, they tried. Did. Maybe they did. That's what's so great about Nazis as villains. It's like, <laughs> throw her off the edge. can you tell me definitively that there wasn't someone in some Nazi basement that was on a project yeah. <laughs> to bring the devil back? It's like, no, I don't know. They were up to all kinds of stuff. So. It's, it's, it's like, you know, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> exactly. Anything. Anything, anything you say, I wouldn't put it past them. If anybody wants to watch a bizarre slice of video game history on YouTube, on iTunes YouTube channel, search Blood Rain to Audition. And just sit back and try and figure out what's going on. Oh man, I'm gonna do that after yeah, this. Me too. Uh, in 2003, Freedom Fighters. Yep. Anyone remember this game? Yep. I have a. I only played the sequel. I think, gosh, I guess I forgot that there was a sequel. Wasn't this made by a, a, a very early Irrational? Or am I thinking of something else? It's Freedom Force. Oh, Freedom which Force. Is, which is also kind of alternate history because it's like Silver Age comics stuff. This looks like movies. Siphon Filter to me. It does. Yeah. Like no, what? I don't remember this game. I only remember Freedom Force. This, in this game, uh, it's an alternate history where the Soviet Union has invaded and occupied New York City. The player takes the role of a plumber turned American <laughs> resistance movement leader. Another plumber hero. Another one. <laughs> to add they? to the long, I, yeah, I long list. I smell a list. feature. Yeah. There we go. That's two. Um, this, this, there's something glorious about games like this, by the way. That uh, it was just this kind of marvelous era of video games where the textures were still flat enough to look cartoony. Mm-hmm. So this game actually ages better than some games from five years ago because it's just it's a really bad shot. Yeah, everything's just kind of 
clean and, and cartoony looking. But it is, yeah. this is, we thought this looked realistic back it's then. It's also the era where like B-tier games just don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. We've yeah. talked about it all the time on Scoop. Yep. Fantastic time for indies. AAA games have never been bigger or better, but that middle ground has just completely fallen out. Yeah. Uh, oh, one thing we should, we should inter- interject is Silent Storm. With, Silent Storm. Yeah, it's a PC alternate World War II game. Okay. Uh, it's a tactical turn-based strategy thing, kind of along the lines of XCOM, Fallout. Um, What's the alternate history? It's it's World War II where, where you've got sci-fi stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. All, they're all the same. <laughs> yeah. The history is is Dan believes that's a real game and the rest of us don't. <laughs> in 2006, I believe with the launch of the PlayStation 3, Resistance Fall of Man. Mm-hmm. That was a launch game, right? Yep. Yeah, that's a great example. Uh, in this game, in the 1940s, an alien race known as the, as the Chimera spread throughout Europe. And we had to fight them. Like you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people think... Make it sound like such a... Then we had a fight, though. It was this pain in the ass. <laughs> like, when I play, Stupid I played pain. through all of uh, Resistance 1 and 2. I never got around to 3. And, like, I don't think about it in my head. Like, I don't lump it into games set in the past. But it totally is. Like, I think it's, like, 1951 in Resistance mm-hmm. 1. Yeah. But you have, like, space guns and stuff that we borrowed. You know, we borrowed the alien technology. So, um, you know, it sort of gets lumped in with my brain with stuff like... You know, Halo, even yeah. though it was supposed to be 60-plus years ago. Yeah. That's the team that did uh, Sunset Overdrive, right? Yes. It's yeah. Insom- Insom- Insomniac, yeah. That's what they're up to these days. Uh, Assassin's Creed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Made its debut in 2007 and has a lot of alternate history. Uh-huh. A lot of real figures and real events. And then mucks it up with what? Uh, uh, a plot about an ancient species that was destroyed by a massive solar storm. Well, that's like the meta story. Yeah. Even the individual games. But the Assassins like... and the Knights Templar are both real organizations. Yeah, that's why... Th- it's are another the Assassins one... real organizations? They are, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a little bit of a gray area, just like Bioshock, where um, besides things like... Like a better example would be the Tyranny of King Washington DLC. Yeah. Where it Actually, tells an alternate... Really, that's perfect. Yeah. That tells an alternate story of I like, what if... So just <laughs> it's like, what if George Washington, you know, declared himself king of America, and then I think he wants to wipe out all Native Americans, and I think he wants to go over and get revenge. Yeah, on he England went insane. And, yeah, he, he was right? also like possessed by an right. evil spirit or something, like um, an evil yep. artifact. Yeah. The mainline Assassin's Creed games are totally alternate histories, but in a much more like gentle. Like they're really kind of trying to match. Like if a character, if, if a person died of poisoning. In real life, they'll have him die of poisoning in the game, but like with a twist, like an assassin. Yeah, well, they're going, they're going for like more of an untold story kind yeah, of thing. It's exactly. like, well, here's what really happened. There's, and, there's subtle things, though. There's like Leonardo da Vinci is <laughs> giving you a gun. Yeah, it's yeah, subtle it's like building <laughs> yeah, Little things. But it's like, how do we know he didn't? Yeah, even if you remove the sort of, and like I don't want to spoil anything, but I think it's <laughs> Assassin's Creed 2 is the space goddesses, right? Where you they, spoil it. Yeah, there's, you, there, you, you get yeah. this, you download this like Windows Media Player clip from the 90s yeah. of... Uh, Adam and Eve like jumping out of the Garden of Eden with the uh, with this space yeah, ball. That remember they unlocking stole. that like a, yeah, a fraction too. of a yeah, second piece at a time. by piece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was insane. Um, so that I don't think happened. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that being the moment I checked out of like the grander Assassin's yeah, like, Creed well, story. I'll these... keep playing you Assassin's Creed, but I'm not going to pay attention to your story. Yeah, and it's amazing too because they, like I think in in the scope of everything else we've talked about, like the attention for historic detail in a lot of those games is probably far and away stronger and better than we've seen in any of these other games. Oh yeah, but the ridiculousness. Totally pulls you away from all that. Yeah, we ran a feature recently on the real history and the Assassin's Creed history of like these different people that lived and the eras and the cities. And I thought they were going to be wildly divergent. Like they would have to have people jump centuries to even get them to fit in the story. But like the Assassin's Creed games actually do obviously care about the history that they're kind of trying on to make their games into. Dan, what about the Stalker series? Uh, Stalker is set in Chernobyl. Yeah. Uh, 
in the uh, area surrounding the Chernobyl accident site. I, I don't recall what, what year that's supposed to take place in, though. Well, in this reality, a second explosion occurs uh -huh. at the power plant sometime after the first and causes strange changes in the area around it. Yeah, yeah. there's radiation yeah. everywhere. It's kind of unclear when it's it's taking place because everything's destroyed, so it's not... Yeah. Like, that, that that whole area is kind of frozen in time. This is a really gross, <laughs> dirty-looking game. It's also, like, this is the year 2007, and it's still hard to find, like, good footage of yeah. games from this time. <laughs> Oh, soccer, get, was, soccer was incredibly gorgeous when yeah. it came out. Yeah. Yeah, we, we I mean, I know it's dirty, but I mean, yeah, like, yeah, no, no, I, technically I it was impressive yeah. as hell. You can fire that up on Steam right now. Anyway, um, it's uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I know somebody told me when it takes place at one point, uh, but I in forgot. The bottom corner, action gameplay, yes. work in progress. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. kind of what I like about some alternate histories is they're almost timeless. Like you could tell mm. me Fallout was in like any year, and I'd be like, mm. all right, like it makes its own, like it carves out its own space. Yeah, I actually think like Fallout, they they went like too like too far in the future for it to make sense because like stuff should have rebuilt more by then. But anyway, well, no one uh, came out of their vaults for a long time. But there were people out there already. Anyway, yeah. Anyway. And you remember uh, World in Conflict? I do remember World in, World in Conflict. That's a, a Soviet invasion game. Yeah, uh, that's a, it's an RTS game, first yes. of all, right? Uh, PC, and then I think maybe the sequel came to... There was a console consoles? version of the like, expansion, expanded yeah. version, yeah. Um, but that's in, set in 1989. Where were we here? Uh, Soviet forces launch a surprise invasion of Seattle, Washington. Yep. They didn't even Narrate. give us the courtesy of letting us know they were coming to I invade think, us. I think that was narrated by Alec Baldwin. Really? Wow. Yes. Interesting. How about this one from 2008? You guys remember a game called Operation Darkness? No. Atlas? Yeah, that sounds super it's generic. Grid-based, turn-based strategy game. Uh, it takes where place on a real beach. <laughs> it follows a squad of British Special Air Service soldiers fighting the Nazis across the European theater. The story covers much of the real history of the European war. The game diverges significantly from real history in that zombies of de <laughs> deceased Nazi soldiers appear as adversaries, and two of the player characters can transform into werewolves. How did well, you time yeah. that? Wow. So exactly when you said zombies appeared, zombies came up on screen. You're good. I'm a, I'm a professional man. <laughs> yeah, I was. You, your, your, your script escalated with this video perfectly. Because I was like, oh, this seems like, oh man, nope. Yeah. I just remember I was at TGS this year with Tal. We saw this game on the show floor. We were like, look at this crazy Japanese game. And then they brought it out over here. And yeah, it was not good. The um, werewolves thing is wild. I thought I wanted to put it down. Yeah, we didn't give it. A, we didn't give it a very good score. Here at, <laughs> here at IGN, it looks cool. Uh, how about Turning Point: Fall of Liberty? I was wondering if you were going to bring that one up. It's, it's yet yet another Nazis one. Yeah, uh, kind of thing where the Nazis come in with with zeppelins and attack New York. It's always zeppelins. It, it, well, that's how you know. Like whenever I was watching the television show Fringe, or if there's ever an alternate reality or split dimensions, you know you're in the you're in the other dimension if there's zeppelins. Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This takes place in an alternate history in which Winston Churchill dies in 1931, eight years before the start of World War II, presenting the possibility of what could have happened to Europe, the United States, and the rest of the world without his leadership. IGN gave it a 5.0. Yeah, it was not a good game, um, which is unfortunate because it, it, it looked good. It looked like a, a good concept, uh, you know, kind of a pretty universe. Uh, like even, you know, I think even like the first few minutes of it, I had this big set piece uh, opening that you're, you're looking at now. Kind of reminds me of uh, the Saboteur. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. yeah. Um, Except for in color. Yeah, in color, <laughs> and, and like this is you know straight up a first-person shooter with you know the, these melee takedown moves. Um, Finish the fight. <laughs> Saboteur was was a uh, a uh, you know Open GTA style. Yeah. yeah, I like that game a lot. That was fun. Saboteur yeah, it was, was fun. underrated. Yeah. What about the game Damnation? Oh, that was a that was a Unreal Tournament mod. THQ. Um, 
Yeah, that, that one was second. that one was made by a, by a mod team. It was for an Unreal. Uh, it was initially made uh, for an Unreal. You know, uh, what is it? I forgot what the competition was. Uh, that they used nothing to hold like for, Gears of War. Right. They they used to hold these <laughs> these um, these competitions for mod teams to develop Unreal mods and you know make total conversions. And they and they made this, and then uh, they won the opportunity to turn it into a full retail game. Um, it didn't turn out to be very good either, yeah. but, uh, but they, had some, they had some good ideas in there, as I recall. Set in the early part of the 20th century after the Civil War has spanned over several decades where steam engines replace combustion engines. The game sees the protagonist fighting off a rich industrialist who wants to do away with both the Union and Confederate armies in one swift movement and turn the United States into a country called the American Empire with a totalitarian dictatorship. Wow. That's a cool premise. IGN yeah. gave it a 2.5. Wow. <laughs> That's really low. Yeah. yeah. I believe that's painful. Yeah, know. really? Yep. Yep. That's great. I didn't know that. We don't do that enough. <laughs> well, most of those games we just don't cover because they're obviously it's so bad, and we'd rather tell you about a good game than a bad one. I know, but I like reading painful reviews every now and then. <laughs> every now and then, yeah. Uh, here's a game uh, Colm Moriarty enjoyed, Singularity. Oh, yeah. An Activision yeah. shooter from 2010. That's uh, Raven developed it. A modern soldier traveling back to 1955, saving a scientist, returning to the present, present, and learning that guy has taken over the world. So you have to bounce back and forth and figure out what to do with this guy. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is, is the same developer who did the Wolfenstein reboot before the most recent Wolfenstein yeah. reboot. Yeah. It's another underrated... There was a handful of like underrated shooters from last gen, mm-hmm. um, and this is one of them. This one was generally, you know, well made. It, it was just, it always just felt like a hodgepodge of things thrown together. It's like sure. so, so many different weird mechanics thrown together. It never really felt like they all came together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some cool ideas in there as well, and you know, better than a two point five. <laughs> yeah, I think we gave it a seven or seven five. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's generally a respectable, good game. Uh, Double Fine released Trenched uh, in two thousand eleven, which would eventually turn into Iron Brigade. That's yeah, right, they completely changed the name. I don't really remember why they had to change the name. There's some sort of weird legal thing. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, in, in this game, uh, it's set in an alternate history. Shortly after the end of World War I, a strange radio communication known as The Broadcast is sent across the world and caused many people who listen to it to die. Wow. Yeah. Once again, this is a game that I actually have had this game on my you know, to-play list on Steam for a long time. I haven't got around to it yet. Um, I didn't know this was an alternate history. It's a really fun game. Yes, there are there are a bunch of, I, you know, I, I wonder if you, if you even count like games like uh, like Rome Total War, uh, where or Rome mm. Total War Rome Two, where or any of the Total War series where like you can take an existing military campaign and go off and do whatever you want. Yeah, like Gandhi uh, take over the yeah. world and yeah. Civ. I guess yeah. it's different just because it's not scripted. It's creating right your own now. alternate reality, like the the Europa Universe Europa Universalis games. Like mm-hmm. you can you can go and take over the world as like Poland. I was uh, thinking also like Infamous, where there's like a very true to life recreation of Seattle, but you can use fake monster powers in it. Well, yeah. that's that's contemporary though. Yeah. So, but it won't be in a decade. That's true. Yeah, it's like yeah, you know, go back to look at XCOM. The original XCOM took place in 1999. Exactly. But it was made in in 1990. That's a question for so. GameScoop Junior, which yeah. will be hosted by our children. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, Deadlight was released in 2012, but set in 1986 during a zombie outbreak in Seattle. Right, oh, man, game. yeah. This was a really interesting game. It was like Limbo with, with guns. Yeah, I don't remember well, it being yeah. great. Yeah. Ryan McCaffrey reviewed it for us and really, really liked it. Yeah. I wasn't as hot on it, but yeah. it, was, it was fun. It was, a cool, it was a cool game. It was um, like, this isn't Limbo. Uh, Dan, how about The Bureau, XCOM Declassified? That is, that is another alternate history game. Um, yeah. I, it, that's, that's like supposed to talk about the origins of XCOM. 
and they don't really tell you like the, the, what was it? Yeah, it was it was like oh this this organization exists to fight, you know protect against a Soviet uh, invasion. It's like a Cold War stuff, and then. Uh, oh, we're gonna, gonna change the name to XCOM for for no reason. For reasons. Yeah, it's like they, they're like yeah. we're gonna tell you the secret orig origins of XCOM, and then those secret origins are because it's like <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a really kind of disappointing game. I really liked its aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's very pretty, and especially that that farm level I liked a lot. Um, but like the the mechanics of it were kind of disappointing in that. Like you would get into the situation, it's got this squad combat, which is a lot like Mass Effect. You order your your uh, teammates around, but then like one of them would get knocked down, and you have t time to revive him before he gets uh, before he dies. You can just send the other one over to revive him, and then he's invincible while he's reviving him. And then when they both revive, they're they're you know they get killed again, and then you set the other one to revive him, and they just go back and forth while you kill all the enemies. And it's like, what? No, sorry, bad. Yeah, well, it was set in 1962 during the Cold War. The government is aware of aliens, and Kennedy actually had created the Bureau. It's like right. sort of the... Yeah, so. I hope we see more. You glossed over it in Deadlight that it was set in the 80s. Like, mm -hmm. that's a ripe, you know, area, especially the farther away we get from, like, the 70s and 80s. Like, I'd like to see more games take a spin on that time. Like, it doesn't all need to be World War II in 1950s. Yeah, exactly. Actually, on the, on the topic of, of XCOM, uh, Xenonauts is a very loyal remake of the original XCOM, mm. uh, but they but they changed it from 1999 to the, no, like, 1989. So it was kind of a Cold War aesthetic in that one as well. Nice. And like we mentioned earlier, <clears throat> Bioshock Infinite, yeah, the, the American government had built Columbia to serve as a floating world's fair and as a display to the rest of the world as the, of the success of America, yeah. and then Columbia ended up seceding from the United States. Man, what a gorgeous game now that I'm watching yeah. this footage. Like, I yeah. played it and wasn't especially impressed with, like, the gameplay, especially compared to Bioshock, but, man, they nailed, like, the look and feel of that city. Yeah. Also, it's I, one I, of the best, like... First couple hours. Yeah, game totally. Yeah, oh. it's so I, incredible. I loved everything about this game except for the shooting people parts. Like the parts <laughs> where I had to actually run around and kill people, I hated. But looking at like looking at this world was amazing. I would love to see sort of like a, a a kind of a telltale revisit of something like this, where I can spend time in this world, but it doesn't hinge around just running around in circles and yeah. murdering people. Mm. They made a, a fan made just a mock-up of what like a, a point-and-click adventure set in Columbia would look like. Oh, really? Yeah. Awesome. Send yeah. that to me. I'm it's just like one to, photo, but it was really evocative. I'm Finish that game to, and send it to me. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having like uh, that game be retrofitted for Oculus Rift. Is it, like, yeah. you can walk around those for, if you could walk around those first few hours uh, where there's not really any combat and mm -hmm. just kind of look around and be immersed in it, that'd be great. I would walk to the edge of every balloon and stare <laughs> down and just cry. And yeah. you know, I didn't even have much of a problem with the combat in, the, in that game except for the stupid ghost boss. Ghost boss was yeah, bad. That wasn't. That I don't know. All the all the cops ran at you like crazy, insane splicers. Yeah, even though they were people. Yeah, they're still. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying the combat was great. I'm saying it, it wasn't. It wasn't like offensively bad. Like, like no, no, no. It wasn't a terrible game at all. But I, I don't think it stacks up well against the original Bioshock in True. that regard. I just think that like in terms of world building and like the that as an alternate timeline type of game is, is fascinating to me because yeah. they they took everything that we have or that we understood from that time period and they put it in the sky on balloons. Like that's so cool. It's very audacious. Like yeah. it was an odd like in the fiction of the world it was an audacious thing for the government to do. But it was an audacious thing for like a game developer to do too and have all these buildings 
creaking and moving around and their mm -hmm. elevation changing on the fly. Like, it, it was, we've never seen anything like that. Yeah. It, w it wasn't just like we took a time period and added mutants or Nazis yeah. or robots <laughs> or something like that, although they did add robots. <laughs> yeah. um, but they said we put it in the sky. Yeah, know, the giant bird thing. Yeah. You also, I mean, you look at the, the footage that we just showed, and it's like dozens of drab, gray, dreary games. Okay. Just like all video games are drab and gray and dreary. Not all, but like it's a lot many. too many. Yeah. And then Bioshock Infinite stands yeah. out, right? Yeah. Blue skies, colorful, but still this kind of horrifying place in you know, other ways. Uh, yeah, maybe I need to give that game a second chance. That game's great. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to The Order, 1886 which is set in alternate history London, where an old order of knights keep all the world safe from half-breed monsters. Because mm -hmm. that's, to our knowledge, that never actually happened. <laughs> Unless it did, and these guys just took care of business. Yeah, uh, same, yeah, same yeah. thing with Assassin's Creed. It's like, well, you can't prove this didn't happen. Mm -hmm. That's true. There you have it, a brief history of alternate history in games. I like, uh, so the only thing that I read for fun is fantasy books. Like, I don't have anything against anything else, but that's just what I read for my personal entertainment. But the downside is always each one has to like invent a whole new world. Like, okay, here's what the politics are like. Here's what they use for money. Here's like what the map is, and here's like they have to spend you know 200 pages building. Like, then by the time I wrap my head around it, it's like, well, maybe the story is or isn't good. And so alternate history gives you an opportunity to have like the best of both worlds. Like, you don't yeah. need to explain to me America or Russia or China or Japan. Like, I get all that, but then you can still invent crazy new scenarios and weapons and things that that, you know, didn't really happen. So. Yeah, it's like one foot in reality and one yeah. foot in fantasy. It lets you have this, like, fantastical scenario without, you know, wasting the, uh, you know, all the time on the world building necessarily. Is it interesting that there's no Nintendo game on that list? Does that just point out um, how Nintendo's only interested in fantasy? Odama. <laughs> That's based in, like, feudal Japan. Oh, it is a, it is, yeah. What a zeep cut. I, I know. had Odama. Uh, Odama was a military... It was insane. Pinball, a military voice-controlled pinball game yeah. where I think it took place in feudal Japan and you had to fight troops using a giant ball. Yeah. <laughs> and you controlled it using a GameCube controller and You your controlled voice. the troops and they yeah. would push the ball around. Um, Man, yeah. I had that's the only video game <laughs> yeah. maybe in my life that uh, uh, I stopped playing just out of embarrassment. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't. I'm like, come on, I'm a gamer. I'll play anything. It doesn't matter. I yep. said I was talking about how I have the Wii Fit in, in Amiibo, and there's some shame involved mm -hmm. in that. But I was shouting into this microphone that was snapped onto my GameCube controller, and I just when my girlfriend was around, I'm like, I can't. No, you can't. <laughs> I can't do this. Yeah. And some would argue that Pikmin takes place in a real backyard. Where people oh, yeah. buy no, a lot of Duracell batteries. That's Pikmin's kind of a real totally world, right? That's, so, uh, but we don't know what time period yeah, that is. Right. Well, the humans are gone. That's like, so it's almost kind of like this post-apocalyptic weird thing. Or maybe the whole yeah. thing's in like someone's backyard. And they think yep. it's like a whole world. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Nintendo games is none of them take place on Earth, almost. So Mario's from Brooklyn. <laughs> is, that, is that even like canonical I don't these know if days? It's, I don't know if it's a video game canonical. It, probably, it might be. That's actually a good question. Because <laughs> in Mario right. 1, he's already in the Mushroom Kingdom. We could do this for hours. I don't know if that is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, uh, time to take a look at the, uh, the rankings of the major, pub major video game publishers for 2014. Metacritic puts this list together every year. I think it's very interesting. Now this list is based on the average score 
for all games released in 2014 by a publisher. Across um, all platforms? Yes. Interesting. I well, iOS not included. Oh, okay. I was and gonna, I was in order to be considered a major publisher, you have to have released at least 14 games. Interesting. And so there's four factors. Average score of all games released, the percent of games with good reviews, which is 75 or higher, percent of games with bad reviews, which is 49 or lower, and then the number of great reviews, which is 90 or higher. Now, but, wait, wait, sorry, is this uh, 14 reviews in one year? Or 14, 14 releases in one year. In one year, wow. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of publishers. Did Activision even put out 14 games yeah. last year? Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Activision Blizzard. Uh, uh, so, and the, based on that criteria, anyone have a guess as to who the number one publisher of 2014 was? Nintendo. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Nintendo, average 2014 score, 76.5. Hmm. Only major publisher to have a good average score. So an sc- average score above 75. Wow. Interesting. So, how, many, how many games did they release? I don't have that number, but okay. it was at least 14. Okay, because um, I'm uh, guessing it, it was probably not... I don't know if it was much more than 14. <laughs> <laughs> They're also the only publisher to have more than one game with a score of 90 or higher. So Smash Brothers and Bayonetta 2. Oh, nice. Only publisher. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, so that's actually, so Nintendo didn't develop Bayonetta 2, they did publish it. And that's sort of the one thing to keep in mind, that this is a list of publishers. So a publisher funded a studio, gave them a pile of money and said, make this game, and then, you know, they get to sort of take the credit in this, in this, Mm -hmm. you know, these results for its success or failure. Yeah. They get the credit as the publisher. Right. Because no developer is obviously releasing more than, you know, a handful of games a year. Yeah. Nintendo's best scored game of the year was Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. Yeah. The well best, deserved. The best new original game, though, was Bravely Default. The score of 85. Wow. Early, yeah, 3DS RPG released early last year. Yep. Yeah, really good RPG. Um, yeah, I mean, Nintendo games in an era where, you know, we were writing more and more about this on IGN, and it's entered gamer consciousness games are launching broken, um, except for Nintendo games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they... they have this quality threshold that, you know, like them or hate them, even if you don't like Smash, like it's not your thing, you're not into it, you don't like the pacing, whatever, like there's no denying that it's like rock solid in what it's trying to oh, do. Oh, yeah. Like, they, yeah. They're just not, they're not, uh, haven't adopted the re- release now, patch later attitude yeah. that mm-hmm. the rest of the publishers seem to have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, and they, they did difference. do DLC last year, but I feel like they did it, they did it pretty, mostly right. I right. Mario Kart's got maybe the best DLC yeah. Ever. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, Smash did have a zero-day patch for, to enable mm-hmm. online multiplayer, yep. which I think is the exception to that rule. But mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, I just don't ever associate Nintendo games with bugs or glitches or, you know, they certainly exist just like anybody else, but they uh, seem to have put much more emphasis on QA. Yeah, there's, not, there's not, no, like, big disasters. Yeah, exactly. Nintendo's worst-reviewed game of 2014 was a game I had never heard of, Chibi Robo Photo Finder. <laughs> oh, really? For 3DS. Yep, I, I passed on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I was never much of a Chibi Robo guy, though. I like the original. Yeah? Yeah. The GameCube one? They or was it N64? It was, uh, it was uh, GameCube. Okay. They made a Chibi Robo for DS, I think, that only came out at Walmart or GameStop. Like, it was a retailer exclusive. Yeah. It might be, it may be GameStop. It might have been GameStop. That, yeah. uh, the number two publisher was Ubisoft. Really? Average score of 74.1. And they were also the second place uh, publisher in 2013. So two years running. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. That's got to be on the strength of like Far Cry. Uh, and well, and uh, Watch Dogs scored reasonably well. Yeah, it did. Yeah, All but 2014 was also Child of Light, Rayman Legends yeah, came out on more consoles. True, like, true. Uh, you know, everyone thinks about Ubisoft as this, you know, a little bit shaky company thanks to Assassin's Creed and stuff like that. But they 
still release a tremendous number of, you know, very... They're generally well-received. Yeah, critically. They were one of only three major publishers that didn't release a bad game, meaning they didn't release a game that scored lower than 50. Mm-hmm. That got an average review score of less than 50. Interesting. Wow. Best-reviewed game was Rayman Legends, which I know Altana's a big fan of. Oh, I love that game. Yeah. So that, that was, I guess it, you mentioned it, right? On it PS4, got, like... It got re, it re, or released on more platforms for the first time. Got it. Yeah. PS4 um, and Xbox One, right? Yep. Both those consoles. Yeah. Which is kind of a cheat for this for this purpose. It's what they released. Well, I'll call the cops, Dan. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a re- it, I mean, <laughs> it's a really good game. Yep. Uh, Ubisoft's best release, best reviewed new game or original game would be Child of Light. Mm-hmm. That was very well received. And then its worst reviewed game was Shape Up, that exercise game that they showed off at E3. Oh yeah. Last year. That only had a uh, 52. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get to that one. I mean, like un- unless there's like not a lot else happening, we don't generally cover the exercise games. Yeah. The number three publisher was EA. Mm-hmm. Average review score of seventy four and a half. But they so you might notice uh, Ubisoft's average review score is seventy four point one. Ranks lower b- than Ubisoft because of a smaller number of good reviews and no great reviews. So right. That's how it's like weighted. Really, it, did, it didn't get great reviews for Dragon Age. Yeah. Uh, well, like no, it did. It, was it wasn't 90. 90 oh, okay. okay. So EA released nine fewer games in 2014 than in 2013. Wow. Yeah. That's actually a big contraction. But so they had good. stuff like Battlefield yeah. that gets pushed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, again, people think about EA and Ubisoft as these companies these days. They're kind of under fire from gamers, mm-hmm. but they still release, you know, Game of the Year winners like Dragon Age. They still release, you know, people have problems with Titanfall, but there's no denying that the actual gameplay in that game was incredibly good, yeah. you know, and that, that also... You know, EA deserves props for stuff like that. Yeah, and it's just a matter of like, do you do you hold them? Uh, you know, do you judge it by like, did they live up to their crazy marketing promises, or is this a good game? Sure. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a good game that like, you know, Titanfall didn't change the world. It it didn't challenge Call of Duty, but good game. Yeah, I think it's I think it's more fun to play. It's just the con- like, it's just the content, the nature of the content. Yep. EA sports games average 71, while non-sports games are 77.3. 71 seems kind of low. They, yeah. Well, it, yeah. it was an off year for them because they've, they've been doing, you know, kind of migrating to new-gen consoles, uh, and they're having big problems with filling those, those new versions of the games with the same kind of content they have in the old ones. So when you go from the old ones to the new ones, you're like, hey, where are all the modes? Where's all the, yeah. all the stuff? Uh, they just haven't had time to add that in yet, so mm-hmm. those games just are received poorly. Interesting. Even though, you know, like, mechanically they can be sound, they're just, like, they don't, they don't have all the stuff people are used to. When I actually think, I mean, NBA certainly drives down that average. Like, it does. It's the yes. one sports franchise where they're getting thoroughly thumped every year. Though, though it has, well, I mean, it only came out last year. Like, they revived yeah. it last year, and <laughs> just, like, it was a disaster. NBA this Live. Year, this yeah. year is a little bit better. Yeah. NBA Live was EA's worst-reviewed game of the year. Yeah. Uh, the Sims 4 was a disappointment, at least critically. Yep. Uh, it has an average review of 70 and is the lowest-scoring Sims game yet. Yep. Uh, that's that's why what I was talking about when that one came out is that uh, you know for for a normal game seventy is pretty good yeah. for for a Sims game where people have really big expectations mm-hmm. like calling calling a Sims game good is yeah. you know damning with slight praise yeah sure uh, the best reviewed EA game of the year of course was Dragon Age Inquisition. They also announced it was Bioware's uh, best-selling game. Or they've actually phrased it in kind of a weird way. They said it had the best launch in terms of dollar like money. Okay, so, so it the, made the most money, even though yeah. it, even though it might not have sold the most copies. Well, I mean, maybe copies. it did sell the most copies too, but just their phrasing was gave them some wiggle room there. Mm. But they said it was Bioware's strongest launch ever. Mm. NEA's best reviewed original game was Titanfall. Unsurprisingly, the number four publisher was Sony. Average review score of seventy-two and a half. 
Only 39% of Sony's releases got positive reviews, though. Wow. Yeah, so I, they're like way outweighed by its best reviewed game, which is The Last of Us Remastered, mm-hmm. which has an average review score of 95. Wow. So that game got 95, but its average review score is only 72 and a half. Yeah, I, I imagine a lot of that's weighed down by a bunch of like small Vita ports and stuff like that. It's the Vita. It's hurt by the Vita's lineup. The average Vita review is 69, mm-hmm. and they only has only had five positive reviews this year. Wow. wow. Got to shake that dead weight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's it's not it's not that. They're all, like all Vita games are bad, but like you said, like a lot of these are re-releases of older games yeah. that are just being ported over to Vita and just like, well, now you have something to play on Vita if you really want. Yeah. I, I love my Vita. I just I feel like it never. I don't know if it if it ever did or if it ever will sort of receive what it what it really truly needs to right. exist, and it, it it gets a lot of these sort of mocked down versions of console games or games that don't really belong on it to begin with, and um, I would have rather Sony focus on. Original content for it, much like Nintendo has done with the 3DS. Yeah, yeah it, it exactly. sort of feels like they're big bets. Like it has been a lot of ports, but even the stuff that's not ports just hasn't always panned out. Like mm-hmm. maybe it hasn't been awful, but it also hasn't been like great. Like I don't own a Vita, and I'm sort of waiting for there to be enough good games that I'm like, all right, I'll finally pick one up. That's what I do with any console I don't grab day one. And the Vita just never really got there for me. Like a bunch of like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's good. You know, mm-hmm. I need like five great games, and I'll be like, all right, I'm ready to jump in. And like you know the. The PS4 had an amazing year uh, at retail, but I don't really know if that it's it's sort of not, it, it hasn't been with the benefit of a ton of first party stuff that's really knocked it out the park. Like yeah. it's actually in spite of that because if if you're buying if you're buying a PlayStation for amazing first party software, I don't think that 2014 was really the year for that. Yeah, I mean Sony has great stuff coming, but yeah. it definitely uh, you know at the expense of releasing stuff in the calendar year mm-hmm. 2014. I enjoyed Last of Us Remastered. I enjoyed uh, Infamous and even the DLC, but um, and there was a, f- a few others here and there. But Sony's best reviewed ori- original game was Hohokam, and its worst reviewed game was SingStar Ultimate Party. <laughs> Number five publisher was Square Enix. Average review score of 71.7. Best reviewed game was Final Fantasy X, Ten Two HD Remaster on Vita. The best original game was Murdered Soul Suspect on PC, but that only got a 59. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, that, that, that game, uh, very polarizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then its worst reviewed game was Deus Ex The Fall, the PC version, which is, the reason was it's just like a straight port of an iOS, iOS game. game. Yeah, yeah. we actually good. gave the, I reviewed it, I reviewed the iOS version positively because really yeah. it's fully voice acted and pretty and you explore, you know, another sort of futuristic city. It was really, really impressive to have in your pocket, but it's a big mistake to put that game on PC. And just the controls were not, yeah. were not adapted. Like, yeah, that's, just that's badly a, done. That's uh, it. Nothing's worse, worse than a game that controls badly. Yeah. yeah. The number six publisher is Microsoft. Average review score of 68.9. Best reviewed game was Minecraft on Xbox One. Best original game was Sunset Overdrive, which got an 81. But this was the second straight year that Microsoft did not release a game that got a 90 or higher mm-hmm. average review. I am surprised that Sunset Overdrive's review average is only 81. I mean, that's incredibly high, but like a game was really, really good. Do, does Microsoft get credit mm-hmm. for uh, releasing... My, uh, Minecraft on like on all the PlayStation platforms and stuff like that under their banner. I mean that was Mojang, but they bought I mean, Mojang. So yeah, they I guess I don't publisher know how they now, that yeah. out. Yeah. They are the publisher now, but I don't know if they actually published them at the time. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, worst that. reviewed Microsoft game was uh, Dead Rising Three: Chaos Rising, DLC for that game. Hmm. Number seven publisher Bandai Namco. Really surprised on there. Average score of 68. Best reviewed game Dark Souls Two. That's why they're on there. Best original game was Dead Core, a PC game. 
What? Deadcore. I've legitimately never heard of that game. Right. I know we're running out of time, but I do have footage of Deadcore that I can pull up. That <laughs> sounds like a game made from a random game name generator. Yeah. <laughs> this is Deadcore on PC. It came out this year. It has an average oh, this. score. Yeah, no, this is awesome. This is like the first-person shooter, but without the shooting. Like, first-person platforming. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I bought this game on Steam. It's another <laughs> game I bought because it looked rad and then haven't had a chance to play it yet. This looks amazing. It, it does have shooting, but what you're shooting is like switches to make platforms appear. Yeah. You're not actually killing anybody. So it's like precision shooting. Mm, like, got it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know whether it's good or not, but I remember I watched this exact trailer, and I'm like, this looks badass. Yeah. And finally, the number eight publisher is Activision Blizzard. Average review score of 67.1. They are apparently always hanging out near the bottom of the list because they release a lot of bad games. And this is putting Activision and Blizzard together. If you subtract the Activision portion, Blizzard would have an average review score of 85.5. Yeah. So, uh, the best reviewed game was Diablo 3 Ultimate Evil Edition. Best original game was Destiny. Their worst game they released this year was Transformers Rise of the Dark Spark. The Wii U version in particular. Yeah. Still going after those movie games. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, uh, that Rise of the Dark Spark. Like, uh, on Wii U, it didn't even have the multiplayer, which was our reviewer's favorite part of it. On, and, and, you know, he, no. still, he still thought it was a bad game, regardless yeah. of the platform, but take away the multiplayer, and it's even worse. If you, uh, I, you mentioned at the top that this is all Metacritic-based, right? Uh, yes, this is all Metacritic data. So they also, they did uh, the mid-tier publishers, like the ones that didn't make that many games each year, and on that list, Telltale was number one. Interesting. Uh, before we go, Justin, it's 2.59. Can we discuss what we're playing this weekend before we go? Yes. All right, Dan, what are you playing this weekend? Oh, that's a good question. I'm probably going to jump into some uh, Dying Light. There you go. Um, I ha- haven't jumped in yet, but I'm, I'm, I need to. <laughs> Justin? Yeah, I'm playing Dying Light as well. I started it last night. Yeah. Uh, it, the game opens very weirdly. It does get better, but that first hour is super strange. Totally agree with you. Yeah. That's actually just what I got through, and then I, I came to work, and I was like, huh, yeah, everyone get- loves this game? And everyone was like, go back and play Yeah, more. it gets better. Like, okay. Um, I'm playing uh, Majora's Mask. Oh, yeah. And, so we've talked about this for years, actually. Yeah, we disagree. Yeah, where I never liked the game, yeah. and you always, you always loved it, and you always told me, like, we should do, like, a, yeah. a series where like we revisit it or something. Book club, game And club. there was never really, like, truly a way to do that, and now Nintendo's given us that. So uh, it's out in a few weeks. I'm playing it now, um, and I actually really enjoy it. Like, it's got a ton of problems. Um, it's not my favorite Zelda. I don't see how it could be anyone's favorite Zelda it's good, but it's it's not up there like that. But um, I'm giving it a second chance and giving it a fair shake, and I'm really enjoying it. Well, it's my favorite Zelda in my memory, but maybe that'll turn out to be an alternate history. <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh, I'm playing a very different game this weekend. I'm playing this. It's called Hero Emblems. It's uh, an iPad game. Uh, yeah. It's puzzle. It's uh, an RPG mastery game, like Puzzle Quest. It's very cool. You have four <laughs> people in your party. Each one is a different class. So like when you match uh, the swords, your fighter will attack. When you match the hearts, your healer will heal everybody. Uh, uh, this, this, this looks like I would play this for 100 I've, hours. Yeah, I'm totally addicted to it. I have to note, though, while I definitely recommend this game, it is a grind fest. Right. Every boss you meet is way overpowered, and you have to grind to level up your characters. I happen to like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also good for like the busts, right? Just sure, like grind yeah. out some just, battles. Just grind, grind, grind. It's also worth pointing out that it's a few dollars, you know, two or three it's or like four three dollars. It's like three bucks, yeah. There's not no free, in-app purchases. Not a free-to-play game, no in-app purchases, so I'm really enjoying it. Uh, What's it called? Hero Emblems. Sweet. Yeah. I'm downloading that. Very cool. All right, that's all the scoops we had for you this week. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Brian. Remember, you can always reach us at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com. And if you want a copy of The Order 1886, go to go to slash orderscoop into your info there. My name is Damon, this is IGN Game Scoop, and we're out.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.